Well, last week, while I was still recovering from uh, this surgery that I had, I was a faithful Lutheran, and I worshiped with you all from, from home, online, both 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock. And there I was, sitting on my recliner with my head propped up and my iPad, ready to worship the Lord when Pastor Alex stood up to preach. Where is he? He's right there. Hi, hi, buddy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to be put to death and raised a new life with the gospel of Jesus. But instead of that, he tells you all that I am wholly out of touch with popular culture. That's how he began his sermon. He said, Pastor Lawrence been so bored that he had to call me and ask me for movie recommendations. And... And you used that against me. Now, now paybacks are only fair. But I'm not going to do it today. I'm going to let you wait. And now we know he likes to sweat. So I'm going to let you sweat it out. You don't know when it's coming, how it's coming. But a payback's coming, Alex. But all joking aside, I mean, I know Bob Barker died. I'm in touch with popular culture. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, Alex preached a great sermon. And in his sermon last week, um, it took place in Matthew chapter 16. That's where we pick up again today. So it's a continuation. This week is a continuation of last week in Matthew's gospel. And Alex preached the sermon where Jesus was with his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And Alex told the story of Peter. Peter is that disciple throughout the Gospels that takes center stage. We learn more about Peter than we do any other disciple. Do you know in Matthew's Gospel, Peter is the first disciple that Jesus calls to come and follow him. And all the way from that moment to the very end of Matthew's Gospel, Peter, um, there's so much character development that comes out about Peter. He's wholly relatable. And last week, Alex told the story of how in the region of Caesarea Philippi, there uh, against the backdrop of the large rock face where the gates of Hades stood, which was a literal temple gate carved into the side of a mountain that went down, they believed, to worship the god of Pan or the god of the underworld, known as the god of fertility, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And what a perfect location for Jesus to ask the question. We know that on the road into Caesarea Philippi, there were um, beautiful statues carved to Roman emperors or to Greek gods. So think about that. Here are all of these images of power, glory, all of the crowns of, of the world. When Jesus begs the question, who do people say I am? And Peter gets it right. He says, you, you are the Messiah. Now, a side note, something really remarkable about this that could be a whole sermon in itself is this is about two and a half to three years into Peter's journey of following Jesus. It takes Peter two and a half to three years of following Jesus to confess him as Lord and Messiah. 
It wasn't overnight. You see, Jesus operated in a way that, that said, you belong. You belong. Come and follow me. Come learn from me. And as you follow me and you learn from me, then work out what you believe. And after you work out what you believe, well then, behave according to that belief. Instead of how so many Christians in churches position it today, right? Which is the opposite order. You better behave how we behave. And you better believe what we believe, Peter. And then you'll belong. Right? That's not how Jesus operated. He said, you belong. Come work out your belief. And then live according to it. And there's Peter saying, you are the Messiah. Do you remember what Jesus called Peter then? A rock. He said, you are the rock. Upon this I will build my church. Upon this confession, the church will be built. And then we pick up today, in the next breath, Peter gets it so wrong. Do you ever feel that way in your life? Like for a moment, you're doing everything right. You're, let, let, let's think about our relationships with your significant other. Maybe some of you are married or you're dating. You, you, you have a partner. You have somebody that you love. And gosh, how many days have I woken up and I've made breakfast for the kids and I'm thinking, well, Becca likes her eggs a certain way and so let me just make her breakfast and I make her breakfast and I'm trying really hard just to serve my wife and, and, and I, I'm getting it right and then within a matter of minutes, we're in the kitchen and Becca's telling me about our family schedule and when I need to pick the kids up and when we need to go here or be there and I'm not really listening at all. And she says, did you get that? And I say, what did you just say? And she says, you buffoon. <laughs> this is the human condition, isn't it? We, 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 we get things so right. We have good intentions and then we just, we, we kind of mess it all up or or how many of you in your work life have felt like you're really trying hard? You're, you're achieving goals and you're meeting the company standards and you're doing everything right and you, you feel really good about your work and then you send an email and your supervisor or boss or clients are on the email and does anybody do what I do? You read your emails like two times after you send them. Does anybody do that? I always kind of scan it before I hit send, but then I immediately go to my sent folder and I read it like three times as if I could change anything. Am I the only one? <laughs> no. And you realize that in your email you have four horrible typos that would lead your boss to believe you need to repeat grammar in the fifth grade. Guilty. These are small examples, but God knows there are big examples in our lives. Luther called this the paradox of simultaneously being a saint and a sinner. At the same time, we are bound and free. We, are, we get it right and we get it oh so wrong. We are these complex human creatures and our lives are marked by paradox. And, and that's certainly the story of Peter. Because right after Peter declares Jesus the Messiah, Jesus starts to explain what that means. It says here in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things, be handed over, 
and killed. And so in the very next breath, Peter confronts Jesus. This can't be true, Lord. There's no way this is going to happen. And it seems so harsh, but Jeter, uh, Jesus, Jeter, <laughs> Derek Jeter, no, Jesus and Peter, that's Jeter, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it's been a while, okay? It's been a couple weeks. Um, Jesus, in the very next breath, calls Peter Satan. Doesn't that seem harsh? Can you imagine what was going through Peter's mind? It's like, are you gaslighting me, Jesus? Like, what are you doing? Like, you just said I'm the rock and upon me you're going to build the church and now you're calling me Satan? In the next breath, what is going on? Well, I think, I think that Peter's words for Jesus served as a great temptation. Now, sometimes we like to convince ourselves that Jesus, just because he could walk on water and do miracles and perform healings, that he didn't face temptation. But if we believe that he's wholly divine and wholly human, then certainly he faced temptation. And I believe that Peter there at Caesarea Philippi telling him, no, Lord, you, you are destined for a crown, not a cross. It was a great temptation for Jesus. And I have to think that in his mind's eye, Jesus flashed back immediately to Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus begins his earthly ministry, he's out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And we have the story of the devil tempting him. Do you remember the temptations? The first is a temptation of appetite. You see the stones? Turn them into bread. You're hungry. It's a temptation of appetite. Use your power, your privilege to fulfill your appetite. And we all know that we face temptations of appetite, don't we? We want more. We need to earn more, achieve more, have more. And we start to feed those desires. You only become more hungry for the bigger thing, the better car, the nicer vacation. The second temptation, the devil led Jesus up to the high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and he said, all of this can be yours if you just worship me. In other words, all of this can be yours. You can have a crown without the cross. A temptation of ambition. Have the power. Be in control. We all face temptations of ambition, don't we? We can take this good gift, this drive that God has put in us, and we can pervert it to creating our own kingdoms, having our own power. Look at all of the marginalized people across the world in places like Haiti and You see, it's a story of ambition that has subjugated other people. And then the temptation on the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself off, Jesus, and let the angel scoop you up. Make a grand scene in front of everyone, and you will certainly win the approval of others. Everyone will know that you're special. Appetite, ambition, and approval. 
the three core temptations Jesus faced and the three core temptations that we face. And standing there at Caesarea Philippi, he's confronted with that very real temptation again. And so he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't literally believe that he thinks Peter is the devil. I think he knows that Peter is a disciple who's mixed up and confused, but I think instinctively Jesus is calling out and saying, get away from me, tempter. Get away from me, Satan. You are using this disciple to tempt me with a crown that skips the cross. Because Jesus understood. He understood that his true identity, it didn't come from what he had, what he achieved, or the approval of others. Jesus understood that the antidote to the world's temptations is being centered and grounded in his true identity. You see, he knew that he was beloved, that he was God's son. It was the baptism of Jesus that drove him into the wilderness. And I believe it was that proclamation over his life, you are my son and I love you and I am proud of you that allowed Jesus to face all of those trials. You see, the thing about temptations is that they're not just these things can get us trapped up in what we call sin. The real dangers of temptations is that they have the potential to thwart our understanding of where our identity comes from. That's the real issue. Lord knows how many times we we think our identity comes from what we have, what we consume, what we can hoard, what we can earn, what we can achieve, what we can do, or Lord knows we think that our identity comes from what other people think of us. It's not just our students that struggle with wanting to fit in, it's all of us. But our identity, like Christ, it always comes from who God says we are. And if God says we're a child, we're beloved, well, then we understand that we have a mission in the world to pour out our life. So standing there with all of the statues and temples of all of the crowns of the world, Jesus invites Peter to fall in line. How many times have you heard this admonition to Peter and thought, oof, so harsh. Get behind me, Satan. Can you also find the grace in it? You see, in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is with Satan up on the pinnacle, do you know what he tells Satan? He says, get away from me. He says, leave me. Be gone. He doesn't say that to Peter. To Peter, he says, just get, get behind me. Fall in line. In other words, follow me and I will show you the life that really is life. I will show you the truly meaningful life, which is the way of the cross. 
See, Jesus didn't come to hold on to the world's power. He came to pour his life out. Jesus didn't come for glory. He came to show the world what grace looks like. And we know that Peter will continue on this journey through the rest of Matthew's gospel, doing what Peter always does. He will get it so right, and he will mess it up so very much. A few chapters later, Peter will will tell Jesus while they're gathered in Jerusalem, I am going to follow you to the point of death. Okay, I'm convinced now. Way of the cross, not the way of the crown. I'm with you. I'm in. I'm not leaving your side. And then in a matter of hours, while Jesus is arrested in the garden and brought before the governor, Peter is nowhere to be found. And as Jesus carries his cross up to Golgotha, Peter's not even in the crowd. And then then there's that whole part about Peter denying knowing him three times. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. Does Jesus then give up on Peter? No. Do you remember that story in the resurrection where the disciples are out on the boat fishing and they see Jesus on the side of the shore with a fire cooking breakfast and the disciples jump into the water to swim toward Jesus and how there on the side of the shore, Jesus, he asks Peter three times, do you love me? It's no coincidence that it was three. He's reversing the threefold denial. And don't you love how even for this disciple who gets it right and gets it so wrong, Jesus, all he wants to do in the resurrection is feed him. Here's some fish. Here's some bread. We see we We are just like Peter. We get things so right and we get things so wrong. And yet, Jesus keeps feeding us. In just a few minutes, we all, every person in this room, is invited to come to this table. And at this table... No matter what you've done this week, whether you're riding cloud nine and you're getting it all right or you feel like you've royally messed up, you will be fed. As your hand comes out, we believe that the very physical, real presence of Christ is placed in your hand because the character and nature of Jesus and our relationship with him is defined only based off of the character of the lover. Isn't that remarkable? Our relationship with God is not defined based on our behavior. It's defined based on the character of the beloved, the lover. And so come to this table. Come with an open heart. Come with open hands, ready to receive from God the gift that is secured for you in Jesus. You know, we could all go back to kindergarten, couldn't we? Just like the kids, to get behind Christ, to follow him where he wants to lead, 
And this isn't just an individual message. This is a message for us as a community. Are we as Good Shepherd Lutheran Church seeking a crown to be the best, to do the most, to give the most? Or are we seeking to be a community that follows Jesus in the way of the cross, pouring our life out, pouring our resources out, giving our communal life over to the life that really is life? This is our invitation to follow the leader and to know that when we get off course, we screw up, we mess up, all that we need to do is to put a hand forward and to once again be fed. Amen.